0: Hello everyone, my name is Sylvia Gorojek and this is another episode of Valley Talks. Today we're here at Runway Incubator and I'm very excited to welcome Jarosław Azniuk, a founder and CEO of PetCube, a home camera for pet owners. Jarosław, thank you so much for joining me on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: Uh, what is PetCube? Tell me more about what it
1: does. Yes, yeah, so it's exactly as you said, it's a home camera for people who have pets, It allows you to see and uh, talk to and play with your pet when you're not at home. And it appears that many pet owners, you know, they treat their pets like babies. And they're really worried about what their pet is doing when no one's at home. So they really want to communicate with their pets. That's why we create cube camera.
0: So how can you communicate with the pets? Can you play with them, talk to them?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, this camera is a sleek looking um, cube made of aluminum and uh, tinted black glass. And uh, basically it has a camera, microphone, a speaker, so you can see and talk to your pet from from the smartphone and it also has a built-in laser pointer, so you can play with your pet remotely. Basically, on the smartphone you just swipe a finger on top of the screen and move the laser pointer and cats and dogs and ducks and pigs, everyone loves to choose laser.
0: Right, and they love it so much. I remember yeah, with yeah. my own pet, yes. And
1: it's a lot of fun. You know, people are basically sharing those videos uh, on the internet, YouTube, Facebook and whatnot. Um, and it, people are also sharing pet cube cameras with their friends and family. So friends and family can play with their pet cubes. In fact, we have a couple of pet cube cameras installed in Pet Shelters. And if you download the app, you can play with publicly shared uh, pet cubes from Pet Shelters. Mm. And then if you want to, you can adopt a cat or dog you see there.
0: I was thinking when I was playing with my pet with this laser it back then it was just in a pen that you could get this laser oh yeah right but then I was a little concerned I you know it was it was some years ago whether this is healthy for the pets like yeah. to be chasing it but I'm assuming it is since you're having it in your Well cover, yeah right?
1: lasers were used as as toys for pets for quite a while and uh, you were able to buy lasers in any pet store for mm-hmm. quite a while so um, uh, Laser is not harmful in terms of uh, if, if it eventually randomly um, shoots in the eye of a pad because it's a low-powered laser, it's the same as, uh, you know, is used in classrooms, so there is no harm in that. Uh, however, if you only play with the pad with a laser, uh, some pets can get frustrated because they kind of try to chase it and don't feel any physical yeah. interaction. And
0: re- reward with uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Any reward. So, that's why we're encouraging our uh, customers to, to use other toys and just like not limit themselves with the laser playing with their pet. Mm-hmm. And probably not, non-pet parent will do that, right, if, if they have yeah. their pets at home. Um, and um, yeah, we're also working on some other products uh, that will allow you to communicate with your pet in, in different ways.
0: Can yeah. you tell me already about those products? Um, yeah.
1: Well, we're not disclosing any okay. like, details. I thought I
0: could be the first one, but
1: <laughs> uh, maybe next time. Yeah,
0: yeah sure. Uh, how do pets react when they hear their owners but they don't see them? Like, how do they uh, play with this?
1: Yeah, this is actually pretty interesting. So. Uh, most of the pets, they, they can recognize or they can learn how to recognize their owner by their voice even when digitally reproduced. It's not the mm-hmm. same for image, so if uh, if uh, your cat or dog sees you on a flat screen, they will not recognize that it's you from a flat image. But they can recognize your voice. In fact, we, we even had like dog whispers training dogs through Petcube and like issuing commands like sit and the dog sits. No yeah. way. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, tell me about the idea. How did this come about and when was it? Yeah.
1: So, we started working on this um, three and a half years ago. Uh, there are two other co-founders, Alex and Andrei. Uh All three of us are Ukrainians. Uh, so, we started uh, working on this be, uh, th- This being in Kiev, And uh, the idea for Paycube Camera first came to Alex Neskin. He's our uh, Chief Technical Officer. So, he had his uh, dog, Black Chihuahua Rocky. And whenever Alex was not at home, Rocky was barking and disturbing neighbors and so on. Mm-hmm. So he had to come up with some idea to solve that. And basically, when he first tried that, he, he just Googled what to do when my d- the dog is barking. And he found this collar that shocks his dog with electric current every time he barks. That's mm-hmm. like, it's wrong, right? Right, it's
0: like extreme and... <laughs>
1: it's like, it's like unhumane, right? right. <laughs> it's like, put that collar on yourself yeah. and try it out, yeah. it's like really bad. Uh, so he basically came up with this better idea of a camera and, and speaker and laser. So whenever the dog was barking, he, he would just play with him using mm. laser and talk to him to calm him down, and that actually worked.
0: So he created one for himself.
1: He, he created the first prototype. Yeah, yeah. And he's uh, an
0: engineer. Right? He's an
1: engineer. Yeah. Back then we were working in uh, like digital advertising business um, uh, with with our third co-founder who's designer, and. Um, we kind of loved the idea, and we played with it uh, for a while. We, we weren't thinking about starting a startup company uh, from the very beginning. Then, uh, you know, all the friends were like, "Hey, I want this for my dog," and like, some people were just joking, "Hey, you should just put it on shelves at some point." We're like, "Hmm, maybe. maybe. Like, why not? Right?"
0: And but still, coming back to your co-founder, did that camera that he created the prototype? Did it help with the barking and all the? problems that he yeah. had? Yeah, I did. Because he was communicating with the dog? Yeah,
1: because he was able to calm, calm, calm the dog down. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, it it's probably wasn't like a hundred percent solution, yeah. but it solved like most of it. Okay. And at the end of the day, it was like the biggest worry of every every pet owner is that, like, you know, they, they just need to check on their baby. It's like... Of course. It's like... Having that peace of mind, yeah. right? And that's that's why uh, people are so crazy now, I uh, you know, about pay, their pay cubes and loving mm-hmm. them and buying them and so on.
0: Yeah, for sure, it's incredible that these things are emerging and you know that we can buy those things. I I had a pet for like m- my all like teenage years, yeah. and I wish I could have something like this back then. Sure. And yeah, but it's good that you're doing this, so now I can when I have another pet, I can buy it for yeah. sure. Yeah. And so coming to your story. When you were in Ukraine and, um, you know, you were raised there and and going to school there, right? Did you ever imagine that you would move to the United States?
1: I think I, I didn't have any, like, problems with imagining mm-hmm. Or limits. Yeah. And uh, I, I was reading quite a lot of, um, like, fancy uh, books and, like, fiction, uh, like Jules, Jules Verne and all those adventures. So I was uh, kind of an open-minded kid, yeah.
0: Okay, so when you came up with this idea for Petcube, you decided to go for it, um, you were working in the advertising um, exactly. industry at uh, that time, right? So what were your steps that you would take towards uh, this business, the first steps and how did it look back then?
1: Yeah, well, we basically... Um, so we, we, we trying to evaluate like how good of an idea it is, I think that this is very important Um, Now that there are so many great opportunities around and it's very important for every person to work on the most important thing they they can work on. Um, And we kind of evaluated our situation so we had this innovative idea and we we saw that there is probably a big market opportunity and we we caught uh, this insight that actually pet owners are really, really worried about their pets left home alone. Uh, and then we, we could try to evaluate how good of a team we are to take on something like that, you know, and to make a global product that, that will make, you know, a difference in the world. And.
0: Uh, your co founder um, is a CTO, he's an engineer. He's and an your engineer. background is.
1: My background is in engineering, so I um, studied applied math, mm-hmm. which be electric engineering, and computer science. Mm-hmm. And our third co founder, Andre, uh, he. He has a degree in humanities, uh, but 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 his main profile is design, and he's like he's like an artist, illustrator, and then switched to more of a functional design. Mm-hmm. And uh, so
0: you uh, wanted to figure out whether your team is capable enough of um, taking this to the next level, right?
1: Yeah, and you know I think the important thing to understand is that none of the great entrepreneurs that surround us was born a great entrepreneur. Everyone basically become a great entrepreneur. Right. And it was more about like mental readiness, like, okay, mm-hmm. are, we like, are we sure that we want to spend next like five to 10 years of our lives doing this and doing like whatever it takes to do this? Are we sure that we will be, will go whatever it takes us in the world to do this? And we'll be working like long hours and so on. And we're all dedicated and we're all friends and like knew each other. Uh, so we committed to it and then like we basically committed to the idea that if we're going to do something it should be like, um, like a global company um, that, that, will, uh, that will change the industry. Because uh, anything less than that is basically not worth trying that mm-hmm. hard. Like if you're going to do something, you know that you're going to like give all of you towards this thing. So then it's better be something like meaningful, like, big enough. Um, And I think that especially uh, I feel that in in countries in Eastern Europe many entrepreneurs are not ambitious enough, are not optimistic enough. I just had this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine and he said that like Africa and Eastern Europe are almost like opposite in a way that uh, in Eastern Europe people have like uh, lots of good education but not enough optimism. Mm -hmm. And in Africa there's like some deficit of education. But lots of optimism. Mm-hmm. Right? So, <laughs> so maybe we comparison. should partner
0: more with each other. <laughs> absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I think so.
0: So, what what did you decide to do next? Did you decide to like manufacture it right away yeah. or prototype it first? Like, what what happened?
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. We basically sit together and try to do some like I don't know business planning or just planning. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went through like standard business business planning exercise. Okay, what's our market? What's our product going to be? How long will it take us to make it? What are the key components? What are the key milestones? And from, from day one, we understood we want to do a Kickstarter campaign. And then Kickstarter campaign would validate if people really need it or not. This is like mm-hmm. the first important step. Whenever someone comes up with an idea, you need to validate if enough people want to have this thing for the price that you are able to make this thing, right? And we thought, like initially, we thought it will take us probably around three to four months to figure out how we're going to make it, and then we'll shoot a Kickstarter video and we'll launch it. And eventually, it took 14 months to launch Kickstarter. You see, because it took us quite a lot of time to figure out how we're going to make it, how we're going to mass manufacture it, be sure that it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And we, we didn't want to launch Kickstarter without knowing how we're going to make it yeah. work. Right.
0: So, during those 14 months, did you already yeah. travel to China, did you figure yeah. out everything? Yeah,
1: so I guess first we're trying to, like, we, we explored local grounds trying to, like, check if there is a factory in Ukraine capable of doing something like that. Um, there was no factory <laughs> capable of doing that, mm-hmm. and um, actually, in in these days, if, you're, if you want to mass manufacture something, some consumer electronics, it's probably... China is your choice because that all the forcing functions around mass manufacturing are just so big there that no other, almost no other place can compete with China if we're talking about large quantities. So you can do some very expensive products, you can uh, manufacture them here in the States or uh, somewhere in Europe. Um, well, Japan, I uh, you know, uh, Taiwan are other options. But if you want to do something really like mass consumer, mm-hmm. then it just you know, economics just forces you to, to go to China, and we're in China trying to figure out how we're going to manufacture that, and it looked really 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 scary. So like, month after month, we, we, we didn't have like complete understanding of it, and we were, we're at some points we were really close to giving up, um, but we did not, and uh, yeah, now we we're uh, selling them uh, everywhere. Yes.
0: <laughs> So, you started Kickstarter campaign um, when you were in China?
1: Yeah, it was uh, 2013, um, I think October. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were still in Shenzhen and we were basically communicating with all the reporters here in the States. Yeah. From China with the spotty Chinese internet over Skype, so I was I was uh, basically living uh, in the U.S. time zone, so I was not sleeping at night in China. I was sleeping during the day. It uh, was so yeah. a fun time. Lots of uh, lots of press, lots of interviews. Yes. It was a very kind of innovative. Yeah, how that did time. that press
0: uh, happen? You need to tell me. Like, did you reach out to them in advance or? It's like,
1: yeah, it's basically ABC of of uh, public relations. So. Um, Maybe public public relations got a bad fame, but what it is, in fact, is that someone has something new, some great story to tell that people around the world are interested in. And all the reporters, they're looking for these great stories to tell because that's their bread and butter, right? So if you you can match your story with a reporter who looks for a great story Mm -hmm. to tell, everyone wins, right? And the reader wins as well. So, So it
0: actually started from you, that you reached out to... uh Yeah,
1: basically, I put together a list of, uh, I guess, over 300 reporters uh, from different media and I looked them up by who writes about products in similar categories, who writes about gadgets Mm -hmm. and has pets, I would look up reporters on Twitter, like, see if they mentioned their cat or dog, anything like that. And I would just basically put together this list of reporters with their names, email addresses, and. I would basically come up with some lead line for everyone, like, mm-hmm. "Hey John, like I think your cat will love this. Like here's what we did, and then we just describe what we did in a couple of sentences, and like we like to learn more, and we'd like to chat, and here here are some of the pictures. There's our website, mm-hmm. and uh, lots of lots of people were interested. Actually, we did it a couple times. So first time we mm. did it even before we went to China, uh, we just kind of introduced like the concept, well, we had a new website and everything and we, we got a bunch of press, it was uh, Spring 2013. Yeah. And another time we did that, I think two or three weeks before the Kickstarter, we kind of pre-announced yeah. it. And uh, people were in, were interested, um, so yeah, we got a bunch of press. I think, you know, it also depends a lot from your story. So something like home counter for pet owners with the laser, are you kidding me? <laughs> like. A really, really media-friendly <laughs> story, right? Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, but why would you want to reach out to press before you had the product?
1: Oh, well, uh, it is important to, uh, you know, put your story out there and see how people react. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, it's, it's very beneficial to see how people react to the concept before actually making something. Because making something involves a lot of time and work and money mm-hmm. spent and so on. And if people don't like it, then you probably shouldn't you shouldn't be making it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was very helpful to get all the reactions both from press and from readers. And then for Kickstarter, of course, it's super important to have a good press because that that, that what often drives uh, the sales.
0: Yeah, and so you launched Kickstarter and it blew out.
1: Yeah, yeah, we, we became like the most funded pet product on Kickstarter. Uh, we got $250,000 um, during... Uh, 30 days. So uh, how
0: did you feel when you saw those numbers going
1: up? Uh, We feel great. We feel like, okay, we're not we're not going to stop here Uh, because like, yeah.
0: You were still kind of in a moment of thinking whether you should go with
1: this? Yeah, we we basically had this understanding before launching Kickstarter that, okay, this is like the moment of truth. People want it, people are ready to pay for it, this amount of money and that's amount of money that would allow us to manufacture it in, in mass quantities, then we're okay and then we should proceed doing this. If they're not ready to pay for this, well, we should do something else, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Were uh, you ready for manufacturing that many, mm, that big number of items when you saw that this we, is so popular? We, we
1: were not like 100% ready and the product were not 100% finished, uh, but we, we had like an understanding how, how it should happen. So we, we've seen how it works. Yeah, we were ready in a way, yeah, and you were we'll trying... be ready later. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right, so you were trying probably to figure out things anyway on the go, right? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like for, for someone who have never done any like mass manufacturing before, uh, there is there's, there's a lot of learning. There's a steep learning curve.
0: Did you have some delay when it comes to delivering yeah, the product? Yeah, we uh, So
1: we, we promised to deliver it on uh, May 2014. And we only delivered it in uh, November 2014. So
0: it was uh, oh, it was a couple months.
1: Six months delay. Yeah, uh-huh. wasn't so the, the worst delay on Kickstarter. <laughs> Some products are delayed no. much more. But we were still very ashamed of that and we're mm-hmm. like communicating with our backers. They're super supportive, you know, Kickstarter community, they're like, oh, it's yeah. okay. Yeah.
0: And then after Kickstarter, you started raising money from investors, or in the meantime, how did it look?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, raising money from investors is always an interesting challenge for uh, for every new entrepreneur. So I would say you should never count on uh, raising money from investors. You should always like build your business mm-hmm. in a way that
0: it would be profitable. On it it and can. Well. It mm-hmm. can. That
1: there is there is some route to success without raising money from investors. And raising money from investors should only help you to accelerate, right? Um, from from another standpoint, you know, um, it's it's tough to build businesses in, in today's competitive uh, environment without venture money. So it's great that, that we have whole venture ecosystem. I think it was spring 2014 probably 14th, and um, was was not successful in it. Uh, and then That was
0: before Kickstarter?
1: Yeah, it was after Kickstarter, after. so uh, before we had to ship. And uh, I also understood that we're not going to ship in time. So, we really had like a tough moment in mm-hmm. the life of the company, and we're seeing that we're running out of money, and we will not be able to raise money before we ship. And um, what we did is basically uh, we we're trying to boost our pre-sales uh, for pre-orders. Uh, but that, that, that was giving us some money uh, but still not enough to like have all the team working on the product. So at some point we just had to basically cut salaries in half. And um,
0: and your role was so to I, I
1: I just came up and said to the team that we either can like basically fire half of the team or we'll all take Com- salary good, cuts yeah. in half, and then when we go through this, when we ship the product, we uh, return all the money that we would owe uh, to all the people. And it was a moment of truth also, and uh, all the people, all the team, they stayed mm-hmm. with, with the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it was fantastic, and I'm so grateful uh, to the team that uh, you know everyone mm-hmm. went through that period. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we raised some venture money, and we shipped the product, And uh, you know the the product was doing great. People were super happy about it, and we raised uh, a bit more money, and uh, started ramping up our sales. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we basically went through that very uh, very hard Mm -hmm. uh, moment in our history.
0: When did you decide to move to Silicon Valley? At what point?
1: Um, It was right after Kickstarter, so it was autumn 2013. Um, It just like yeah, it was just the it's right both thing, natural. The right thing to do. right? And uh, we always knew that we're you know, building a global company that we, we wanna learn from other entrepreneurs. Uh, I think this is like personally this is the most beneficial component of being in so called Silicon Valley ecosystem, is that you learn from other co founders, from people who've done it before. Mm-hmm. And this is the most helpful part. Of course, like venture capital is is great, but also People should not be, uh, you know, in in this illusion that it's easy to raise money because it's as as lot as uh, there is a lot of money here in Silicon Valley, but there is also a lot of competition mm-hmm. for the money. So we
0: all hear about all those successful stories, yeah, right? But yeah. we don't hear about all those startups that are knocking the door and like hearing oh, yeah. no. All as an stuff.
1: entrepreneur, I can tell you, I have many fellow entrepreneurs who, you know, who are trying to raise money and like uh, we're not successful in that. Or there are entrepreneurs who raised money but then failed to build a company mm-hmm. and then didn't raise next round, yeah. didn't build a good company and now they closed doors.
0: Yeah. And your attempt was also at the beginning very hard, right? So, yeah. yeah,
1: so you know and even like the most successful entrepreneurs, those who you know we know all these success stories, sometimes it took them you know tens of meetings uh, and like 50, 100 meetings with different VCs to raise money. And um, actually Peter Thiel has a very good uh, saying on, 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 on this topic. He says that uh, the, the best idea is the idea that looks like a bad idea to most people. Because if something looks like a great idea to many people, mm-hmm. it means that everyone will, will rush there mm-hmm. and will be doing that and uh, there will be big competition for that. And whenever there is a big competition it's really hard to build valuable companies. So the best companies, the most valuable companies in the world are in a way monopolies in, in some way. So you wanna you wanna look for ideas that are very uh, un, maybe unintuitive, unobvious, right?
0: Or not popular.
1: Right. And then, for example, now, right, you know, like there's this all craze about chatbots and uh, mm-hmm. virtual reality and so on, so on. So probably now it's almost like maybe late to to go yeah. into that. Or if you if you wanna build like a chatbot or a virtual reality app or something, it should be something. That is probably un- yeah. obvious, because if it's obvious, there are probably hundreds of people doing that.
0: Let's talk about YC.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you graduated from it recently. Yeah. And um, why did you decide to apply for YC at this point? Or did you try to apply before as well?
1: Yeah, we, we tried applying a couple times uh-huh. and uh, we were accepted uh, this uh, autumn. I was talking to a couple of my friends who went through YC and was uh, you know listening to all their stories and um, i understood that uh, yeah it would totally be mm-hmm. beneficial for us mm-hmm. um, so i think you
0: had to apply a couple times though yeah. right yeah yeah yeah, yeah uh, so it, it means we're, like we're really don't give up <laughs> yeah we
1: yeah, were were determined that we want to go to yc um, and I, i'm super happy with it it totally paid off there are three big things like learnings that i got from yc uh, and implementing in the company you know uh, I think first thing is that, no, the, the reason why why YC is so powerful is because partners in YC, they see thousands of companies, uh, there, there are like, uh, for each place there is competition of 60 companies for, for one place and then a batch, mm-hmm. and they see all these companies, many of them are some of the best companies or future best companies uh, here in the valley. and. Um, Because they see so many of them, they just have this pattern recognition, and they can tell you, all right, you're doing this and that. Or we've seen 50 companies that are doing that, and 45 of them are doing this thing, and it works for them. So if this thing doesn't work for you, you should figure out how to how to make it Mm -hmm. work, right? Uh, Or don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. We've seen companies doing that and failing. And that's not the best use of your time. Mm-hmm. The second reason why YC was helpful is because of the network of uh, founders who already went through YC mm-hmm. and there is some special relationship between people and Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of family yeah. in a way. Um, I know it sounds cliche but the level of trust that exists between mm-hmm. those founders means that uh, you, you can be absolutely open about your business and Many businesses are, you know, very complicated inside, and uh, when you're really open about it, when you see how complicated it is for other founders, and you know, having a conversation, a one-hour conversation with another CEO of another company that does some kind of hardware product, for in my case, is one of the most helpful experiences mm-hmm. for me as a person who runs like the a company. Like a shortcut,
0: uh, right? Yes, in your it's like experience. you know,
1: the business is like getting from A to B. And it's usually like this, like mm-hmm. zigzag, right? And all kind of advice and like learnings that you can get, they help you to straighten the path, you know, to do mm-hmm. less of the wrong turns. Yeah. So that, that was super helpful. Yeah, and then it's yeah.
0: in a shorter time.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah. And then I guess the third thing is that affiliation with Y Combinator puts you some social proof on, 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 on you and on, on your company. And helps you open many doors. Helps you to recruit, hire people better, or hire better people. Um, and um, all this network just helps you in so many ways.
0: Uh, you've done many amazing partnerships, and also Petcube is sold in Best Buy and yep. Nordstrom, right? Yeah, yeah and how, some, yeah. yeah. How did this happen? Was it after YC? Before YC, did you it have? It was anything was to before
1: s- YC? Okay. Well, this is. This is like the standard business route you would take if you want to sell a consumer mm-hmm. product. You want to see it on shelves, so you go to stores and uh, ask them, "How do we sell it?" <laughs> oh, really?
0: Was it yeah. like that? That's how uh, you started?
1: Yeah, hey, you find a person who's in charge of, you know, buyers and from from Best Buy to and you reach out to them. And sometimes they reach out to you because of all the press, or mm-hmm. you know, they're also looking for new uh, innovative products, and then you, know, you should just tell a compelling story and, and Mm -hmm. you know, in our case it's uh, this whole new category uh, we call it connected pet uh, of products that helps people to connect with their pets remotely and uh, also kind of bundled up with with some other products on the market and uh, and, uh, when you go to Best Buy you see this uh, connected pet category within the connected home. Uh, So there is shelf space that is allocated for those pet related products. Mm. It's, again, you should always look for a win-win. These guys are interested in great new products that consumers are interested in, you know, that solve some real needs yes. that people have. Uh, and they, they take margin mm-hmm. when they sell it. I product. can
0: imagine it's a win-win, but sometimes it's hard because there is so much clutter.
1: There is right? a lot of You need to get
0: through this so that yeah. they spend a little attention on you and can like totally like think about this right because this is so hard right now but I feel like probably press that you had also helped you with that right Absolutely. because it always yeah. uh, works uh, as a validation it is
1: also a word-of-mouth you know mm-hmm. just people using your product and um, you know speaking about it and um, posting about it on social media and then of course you know, hiring a right person to run your sales organization is is uh, important so, you know, I think every founder should understand what is his or her strong sides mm-hmm. and, and not so strong sides. So I don't think that, you know, I'm not an expert in selling to big box retailers here in the US, right? So I just found uh, a great person who, who's an expert in that, who used to do that for Pepsi, for L'Oreal, for other pet companies and uh, hired him. Uh, so I have Chris is our uh, Senior VP of Sales, who's doing a great job there.
0: Yaro, what's the hardest part in um, doing hardware, <laughs> when you look at this right now?
1: Um, yeah, I think, you know, it is just like another business. I think it just makes it more complex in many different ways. So it's not only that you can have to manufacture something, you also have to... Uh, Well, you have to have engineers who make it, then you have to manufacture it, then you have uh, to learn how to ship it logistically, then you learn uh, how to sell, how to deal with distribution. Uh, Then usually it has like, even like product-wise, it has some software that runs on a person's uh, uh, mobile phone or computer and then there is something going on in the cloud Mm -hmm. and then there is some software that runs on your device. There There are more different pieces of software that have to work together. And then well, hardware is definitely different in a way that you cannot just update it overnight, you know, yeah. fix the bug if you found it in hardware, right? So it has a longer cycle. But, you know, every business has its own complexities. Mm-hmm. You just have to be ready that when you're dealing with hardware, there is this number of things that you have to deal with and you better know about all of them, that they exist up front. Uh, so at least you know known unknowns, and try to reduce the amount of unknown unknowns.
0: I know you have many things um, coming that you cannot share about much. Of course. But what's the next goal for PetCube? Please uh, share it with me, um, you know, as much as you can. And um, yeah, what's Um, the next goal for it?
1: Yeah, you know, I think we're just really focused on improving the, the, Mm -hmm. the base experience that people have and we're, we're looking a lot at the data how people use it and uh, we're listening a lot to all the you know emails and all the signals that people speak to us and that they tell us what they like and they tell, tell, tell us what they don't like and they tell us what they would like to see there I think this is very important for many founders to, to not get caught up in this you know kind of makers desire to mm-hmm. make more features, more products, more, make something new, you know. Once you launch your first product, you should really like carefully look at it, like as a baby, you know, how it develops. You should you should be very careful with it, how people use it and then how to make it actually work as design because from the very beginning you never have it like working 100% right and some things are hard to use, some things can be, can be better.
0: So we're just polishing what you have yeah. according to what users and consumers tell you, right? Yeah, I
1: think this is very important. Mm-hmm. This is not given enough attention from, from many people uh, who are doing their companies. They're, like they launch something, they run to make another thing. Mm-hmm. And y- you, you want to make sure that you have uh, a sustainable business model they'll generate you enough revenue to allow you to spend the revenue to create new, great products. Uh, because otherwise mm-hmm. it's not sustainable, right? And uh, there, are, there are companies that raise more and more money and they're pretty dependent on the venture ecosystem. And once the fundraising uh, becomes tougher, those companies are at risk. And all the people who have company, uh, jobs in those companies are at risk. And then all the customers that bought that product, are at risk, because what if company mm-hmm. goes out of business, what, what's going to happen with yeah. the customers, right? But we have some new products and it works as well.
0: Yeah. Okay, I can't wait to hear about them. Sure. Yeah. Yaro, it's thank you so nice much having. for speaking with me today, it's thank been a great pleasure. Um, so for everyone who would want to uh, find more information about Petcube, they should go to the website, Petcube.com. Sure.
1: Yeah, it's Petcube.com and or download there. our app, it's uh, Petcube in App Store or Google Play and you can play with publicly shared animals. Share photos. Oh without even the
0: camera, right? You yeah, you can...
1: don't you don't need to have a Paccup camera. So okay. the app is free, it's really cool, and then uh, you either can decide to buy a camera or mm-hmm. just to, you know be part of the community if you love pets.
0: I yeah. see, Yaro, thank you so much.
1: Thank you.